You know what the most dangerous thing in America is, right? Nigga with a library card. <laughs> This is The Most Dangerous Thing in America podcast, a show where we read black books and they are talked about by a black author. And you can listen if you're black or not black. That's okay. Today we are discussing Blanche on the Lamb by Barbara Neely, a work of detective fiction. And we're going to hop right in. This is a fun one. Last week we read uh, a book by Julius Nairi. Um you know, history, socialism, something dense. This was our light read. After we read something heavy, we go to something light. So um, we're going to hop right in and talk about Barbara Neely, the person. And then we're just going to talk about the book briefly, a little bit of a plot summary, talk about some things that I like, two things that I like in particular. And that's going to be it. It's going to be a quick one this week. So first of all, Barbara Neely, the person, amazing person, uh, graduated from school and immediately started working as an activist uh, and spent decades working as an activist without really doing much writing. Uh, It seems like she started her writing career in her 40s, as best as I could tell, and that was in magazines and literary journals, all while still being an activist, all while still organizing for different black causes and at one point running um, an economic empowerment center in Boston. Um, so she was constantly doing the activism thing and then uh, work, writing for a Southern literary magazine when she moved to, I think it was North Carolina. And then one of her stories got illegally uh, adapted. She filed a lawsuit, got a little bit of money, and decided she was going to act on her um, desire to write a novel. So she followed in the footsteps of a couple of her heroes, Toni Morrison and I don't know if I don't know if uh, Walter Mosley was a hero, but certainly somebody who um, wrote detective fiction who was black. So I'm sh- uh, she cited him as an inspiration. Don't know if it was a hero. Toni Morrison was the hero. She wanted to write like Toni Morrison, and so she wrote this novel, which was published in 1992. She by that time was 50, 51. Um, so just kind of an amazing life, you know spent all of her time working for her people and didn't think she could really make money out of a writing career, but kept at it, you know, on the side there. Uh, Seemed like after graduate school, she kind of just, you know, started having a little bit of success publishing stories here or there. And then later in life wrote uh, this novel and um, it won the Agatha Award, the Edgar Award, and... um, and a a third award. So she really knocked it out the park. Um, And then she passed away in 2020, uh, not from the coronavirus, but she passed away in 2020. I came to her book in, I think her books in 2019, randomly, just on my Kindle, the Kindle Unlimited said, hey, this is a a writer who you can read for free. Her and Octavia Butler, both of their books are just free on Kindle Unlimited. Not not all of them, but a lot of them. And so I think it's because I was reading a lot of Octavia Butler at the time. Kindle was like, hey, here's another black woman, even though they don't write in the same genre. Uh, eh, I'm not going to blame the algorithm. Ultimately, 
I enjoyed uh, learning about Barbara Neely, and it's already paying dividends. I learned today about a new writer, a modern writer, a writer who's young, um, Kelly Garrett. So I will be dipping into her books uh, as soon as possible. But okay, back to Barbara Neely, um, who, yeah, like we said, started her career a bit late and then wrote this acclaimed novel and then uh, wrote three more um, in the series. And so these novels are about Blanche White, who is a uh, black woman working as a domestic servant or maid uh, in South Carolina, at least in the first novel. And um, that was definitely an unusual type of character at the time. If you've ever read, like, for instance, an Agatha Christie novel, so even just forget the black aspect of it for a second. If you've ever read an Agatha Christie novel, the maid, usually the maids, the maid, the butler, the butlers, the servants in general, they factor in in this way. Usually what happens is um, Hercule Poirot or Miss Marple or whoever goes and talks to the maid and they have to basically beat the information out of them because the maid or the butler is uh, so reluctant to relinquish any information about their uh, quote-unquote master and um, they're basically seen as these docile inferior low-class people so that's usually the function of a maid in a mystery novel never mind the function of how people actually view them in real life which probably not too dissimilar uh, I wouldn't know I never had enough money to have a maid um, nor would I nor would I. Okay, but so that's who's at the center of these novels. Blanche White, working as a domestic servant, uh, formerly living in New York, kind of living all around the U.S. and really an independent woman um, doing her thing. And then, you know, uh, her sister passes away. She's got a couple, she had a couple of kids. Blanche is going to take care of them. So she moves back to South Carolina and the book opens up with her having bounced a couple of checks and she's in the courthouse and they have... Uh, sentenced her to I think it's a month in jail so she's nervous and she decides all right I got to get out of here and she goes to the bathroom and escapes the courthouse hence the title Blanche on the Lamb and she goes and answers a domestic service call that she had already scheduled for that morning but had missed because of her courthouse appointment so she was like okay I can still make this thing and that'll give me somewhere to hide out and so she goes there, she meets the family she's supposed to be working for, and it so happens that they're headed to the country. So she goes with them to the country, and that's how the novel starts off. And uh, I'm not going to give any more of the plot away, I just want to get that opening out of the way and that, uh, to say that once she's with the family, everything about the mystery actually unfolds, the crime and everything unfolds. And that that part of the plot I'll leave for you to go discover for yourself. Everything that I found interesting in the novel is set up in those first 10 pages. Not that the rest of the novel isn't fantastic, but, you know, being a mystery, being a detective story, really it's up to you to go and unravel the mystery. What I would like to point out to you is a couple of interesting things. So, first of all, uh, the part, if we rewind to the part where I just said that Blanche got out of the courthouse by going to the bathroom. Now, I'm just going to read the passage, okay? And... And I'll take you through what I was thinking. So she's being sentenced and she's kind of looking around nervously and she realizes that nobody sees her. Nobody's thinking about her. All they see is oh, some black woman bounce checks. The judge is like, yo, you're going to jail for 30 days. And everyone's like, great. Another piece of black detritus sentenced into prison. 
fantastic. And she just becomes invisible in their eyes. So she's nervous. And she says, here we go. Blanche tried to catch the boy's eye to see and be seen by someone before they both disappeared into dot dot dot. She clutched her stomach and half turned to the matron. I gotta use the toilet. The matron gave her an annoyed frown, looked at her watch, then pulled Blanche through another doorway that led into the dark corridor. Diagonally across the hall, between the staircase and the men's room, was a door marked ladies. A dingy skylight threw murky light down onto a cracked marble floor. A mottled basin and a, to a toilet stall were crowded together in a space hardly large enough for the two women. Blanche entered the stall and padded the seat with toilet paper before sitting down to ease her bowels with as little noise as possible. Alright, that last sentence is what kind of shocked me. I, I, when I was reading that passage, and maybe, I don't know if you thought the same thing, I thought that she gets into the toilet, the matron leaves, and then she like slips through the window. I assumed it was a trope. I assumed that's what was going to happen, that this whole thing was uh, Blanche's way of, you know, devising some clever ruse in which she can uh, evade her captors. But it wasn't. She simply gets nervous, and her stomach hurts. She's got the bubble guts, and she's like, fantastic, I'm going to the toilet. Um, she, the way she gets past her is that when she opens the door back out, there's a commotion in the hallway, and she just runs out of the courthouse. That's why she's so nervous and runs to her domestic service thing. But the why is this important? This is important because this wasn't played for laughs. It wasn't a ridiculous trope, and it wasn't uh, it wasn't some crazy scatological um, riff. Like if you've ever read Gravity's Rainbow, there's a scene in which Thomas Pynchon just goes insane and talks about. Uh, yeah, who, let's not even get into it. And also, don't read that book. Uh, but this wasn't that. This wasn't done for any kind of lowbrow humor. This is just, and I'm at the risk of using a cliche, Barbara Neely portraying a person, a black woman, as a real person, a real character, a real woman. Someone who has the bubble guts and just has to use the toilet. And this happens throughout the novel. She adjusts her panties. She goes to the toilet multiple times. And it's just mentioned, you know? Sometimes she takes her feet out of her shoes and stretches her toes. You know why she does it? Because we all do that. And this is a minor thing, but it I really, really like this. I'm not saying that when I watch a TV show or a movie or read a book, I want to constantly hear about somebody scratching and itching and, and taking off their shoes and going to the bathroom. But the fact that you never hear it and it never... These people just kind of walk around like pawns in novels. You know, it's it's almost unrealistic. It just was a really great way to round out the character. Here's this woman who works as, as, as a domestic servant. She has money problems, to, not just like a little money problem. She's bouncing checks and she's got two kids to take care of. And on top of all of that, she's got the normal everyday problems we all have. You get out of the bed, your back hurts a little bit, you're walking down... The hallway in the house in which you are a domestic servant and your feet hurt. You sit down for too long and your underwear ride up on you. You get a piece of bad news and your heart sinks, but also like your the pit of your stomach drops and you just need to kind of go to the toilet. It's great. I, I loved that aspect of the book. It happens throughout the book. It's And just want to you know reiterate, it's not done for cheap laughs. It's not done... Uh, it's not over the top. It's not crazy. It's just, um, here's a person and here's how they act. And that's it. It's matter of factly stated. So I really like that aspect. 
the second thing I wanted to talk about, and the reason I opened up this podcast by talking about her activism, is that another thing that uh, Barbara Neely does masterful, masterfully here is talk about uh, what it's like to be black in America. But, you know, and then more specifically, a black woman, and then more specifically, a black woman working in the South, etc., etc. But uh, clearly, that was going to be something that she was going to have to talk about. If she was going to write about uh, a black woman character working as a domestic servant in the South, that was going to be something that she had to talk about. But the book never feels like it's being taken over by that narrative. And... Why is that important? Why not have the book take over, be, be take over by, be taken over by that narrative? Well, I feel like um, by not having the book taken over by that narrative, what's happening is that you're really getting what it's like to be black in America. So Blanche goes about her day, and she works as a domestic servant, and sometimes she just laughs and hangs out and has a good time, and sometimes she talks about how much she hates her boss, and then sometimes. Somebody says something to her, and then she has to think to herself, well, did he say that to me because I'm a servant? Did he say that to me because I'm black? Or did he say that to me because I'm a black servant? Or did he just say that to me because I'm a woman? Or did... All of this intersectionality going on at once, which is something that black people always have to deal with. And uh, this is not dissimilar to the famous W.E.B. Dubois concept of uh, double consciousness or the Franz Fanon concept of masks or any number of uh, different black thinkers who have made this made this um, observation but I just really liked uh, the way that she did it in this book throughout the book it's just sprinkled with Blanche you know in the moment realizing like right like why is this happening and can can't I ever just have a moment's peace where I don't have to consider, oh, is it because I'm black? And she can't. The answer to that question is she cannot. Um, so the best example of this in the book is Mumsfield. Mumsfield is the other, is he's a great foil to uh, Blanche throughout the novel. And so basically Mumsfield has a, a type of... Um, down syndrome it's called in the book it's called a i believe she called it mosaicism mosaicism um don't know if that's real and because he has that he's also constantly ignored just like blanche is ignored and blanche is ignored because she's black and a servant and uh mumsfield is ignored because he's although he's white and rich he is um he has special needs okay so, throughout the book, she kind of wrestles with this idea of, can I really, can I truly connect to this guy, Mumsfield? Does he really understand what it's like to be me? He understands what it's like to be invisible, but does he really understand what it's like to be me? And so, you know, she constantly has the question of, uh, am I being treated a certain way because I'm black in her head? But then even beyond that, can I even connect with a non-black person? Um, can they truly empathize? I mean, can they put themselves in my shoes um, just because they've also been discriminated against or ignored or made to feel invisible? Okay. So um, towards the end of the book, there's this passage where uh, 
I don't want to give any part of the plot away, so I'm going to just not even set it up other than to say she's talking about her friendship with Mumsfield and whether or not it's sustainable. Okay, so here we go. For all his specialness and their seeming connectedness, Mumsfield was still a white man. She didn't want to shower concern on someone whose ancestors had most likely bought and sold her ancestors as though they were shoes or machines. Would she always find some reason? Mental challenge, blindness, sheer incompetence? To nurture people who had been raised to believe she had no other purpose in life than to be their quote-unquote girl? Had the slavers stamped mammyism into her genes when they raped her great-grandmothers? If they had, she was determined to prove the power of will over blood. When Mumsfield was out of sight, she slowly closed the door and thought about her next move. And that's really the absolute impossibility of being black uh, in America. The constant war with oneself. She doesn't know if she's been conditioned to feel this way. (laughs) She doesn't know if she can be deconditioned. She doesn't know if she uh, will always look at any white person who's got some kind of quote-unquote defect and feel sympathy for them. And if that isn't some kind of uh, insult to her own self, the fact that a white person who has a defect is the only kind of person that can empathize with her. So... Uh, the book isn't overt about this. I mean, well, I guess that's a pretty overt passage. What I mean is that it's not the crux of the book. It's just in the book. The book is very much a murder mystery. Um, but like I said, it would have been impossible to have this mystery and have a black person centered at the middle of it, uh, in the South working as a domestic servant and not address these issues. And I really felt that Barbara Neely addressed them in, um, a masterful way, really wove it in beautifully, and you kind of get the essence of what it's like. You know, you're going about your day as you do at your job, and then uh, you try to solve a murder, as you do. And while you're solving that murder, you're constantly asking yourself, well, am I being talked down to because I'm black? Um, But all jokes aside, it is a real thing. And then um, aside from that, the only other thing to say is about the mystery itself. And, uh, I would say that it was a good mystery. The climax, leading up to the climax, there was a little part where I was a bit confused. But that happens to me a lot when I'm reading detective fiction. And I think part of it is that I'm reading very quickly to try to just get to the end because I want to know what happened. Um, But yeah, overall, the action and the mystery is fantastic. The characters are well drawn. And um, the book has a good... Uh, a good pace and you want to know what's happening and you want to get to the end. So aside from just the interesting character of Blanche White, aside from Barbara Neely's social commentary, which is sprinkled throughout, the book is also just a good mystery and um, a fun book to read. So this was Blanche on the Lamb. There are four books in this series. I can tell you right now that I'll be reading all four books. I really enjoyed this one. That's going to do it for today. Next week, we're going to read The Other Wes Moore by Wes Moore, um, which I, I don't even remember how I came across this book, but we're going to read it. And uh, yeah, that's all. So until next week, or maybe two weeks, let's say next week. Until next week, um, stay safe, stay healthy, stay black, and keep reading. Keep reading.